people, welcome to episode 35 of Misfits. I know, it's been a while. For those, for you who are first-time listeners, this is where I speak to the rebels, outliers, and unconventionals. Try to see things as how they see it and to learn from them. Some of these individuals include Betty Lee, who did a first solo travel around the world at the age of 60. Taking Soon, who is the architect behind the People's Park Complex. Adrian Pang and a whole lot more. And today on the show, we have Elvin Poe. While he is an entrepreneur and a co-founder of Vodian, a cloud hosting solution company. Chances are, if you made your own website, WordPress, or however, you've probably heard of Vodian. Vodian was founded in 2002 along with its co-founder, John Gervais. After about 15 years, in 2017, it got acquired by Dreamscape Value for $30 million. Sing dollars. Alvin holds a master's in information system from Carnegie Mellon and is now traveling around the world and getting better at snowboarding. In this conversation, we spoke about why Alvin sold his Lamborghini and embraced minimalism, the evolutions of Alvin's fitness routine, how Alvin applied 80-20 principles to business, and much, much more. So, without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Thank you so much for taking your time out, man. And uh, I think a good jumping off point for this conversation would be golf. Okay, golf. Cool. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I also kind of trust everything on the internet, but it seems like you're quite a golfer or at some point in time you got into golfing. So, uh, yeah. mini golf, not, not, not regular golf, but oh. mini golf. <laughs> okay. Well, what got you, yeah. what first got you started into mini golf? Um, that was actually one interview that I did with Rise Media. So they interviewed me over a round of uh mini golf. Um, so yeah, that was my. Uh, it was a pretty unique interview too. I mean, it was done through mini golf. I thought it was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, like my my all my experience with mini golf were just casual, recreational, I guess. Okay, so it reconfirms my belief that uh, golf is for the older generation. Because <laughs> I was like, maybe I should know something that I don't know. Maybe like golf is like the key to networking or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I have heard that like said many times before. But uh, I, I guess um, when you're running a business like, like what I did, it's more of, you know, e-commerce. It's more of a mass market thing. And... I suppose the people that play golf are more, um, you know, they deal they deal more with larger contracts and bigger deals, um, not the kind of, uh, you know, the price point that that Vodian operates in. So <laughs> maybe that's why it's different. Oh, I see. So you actually went to survey out at one one point that maybe this mini golf thing will give you a try, but uh, I guess not for my <laughs> industry. Yeah. Well. It's it's definitely something that we wanted to explore. Like like at one point in time, we were looking at the various, um, you know, networking or uh, lead generation methods, and golfing was one of the the more uh, traditional or, or time proven methods. But like just with like all other kinds of channels, you know, it's it, it just happened to be something that we couldn't make use of. Even like exhibitions and conventions, uh, and trade shows turned out to be something that we, we didn't really find a lot of success in. Although I know there's a lot of people that do um, events and have a lot of success with it, I guess it just never um, never worked with our industry or at least our business. Actually, this is like a perfect segue to sort of networking and how you think about networking. 
how do you think about networking back when you are uh, running Vodian? I, I think the, the way we approached our business was to, you know, just keep our heads down and like get into the business um, and just like work hard at it. At least that, that was our approach right from the start. We had friends um, who were in business as well, but in terms of networking for the sake of growing the business, I don't think that was one of our main priorities. Um, but I think as we slowly grew, that became more um, more important. But I wouldn't say we, we, we went for sessions just to get to know people. I, I don't think it was a, you know, like one of those like scattershot approaches. We were very, very, very cautious or very careful about who we wanted to meet. Um, I, and I think it's because we saw it as a win-win situation. A lot of the times, the people that we do want to meet and work with are our channel partners. And these are like people who run agencies uh, web design agencies, branding agencies, marketing agencies, um, and and you know, uh, the yeah, agencies that basically have clients who might make use of our services, and these are the people that we want to reach out to, that we want to form relationships with, and that we want to have a a, a win win, uh, relationship with, because ultimately what they are looking for is somebody that's trustworthy, that's reliable, that can help them with you know, the services that they are, they want to provide their clients. And that's where, that's where we come in. So uh, we, are, we, we see it as a way to, you know, that's, that's the kind of networking that we do, basically. Yeah, and, but then it was, you were saying that at a certain point, before that it was like engineers in a dark room coding away and then I like building the yeah. back end, right? And then at a certain point, yeah. that sort of flipped. Right. What was, I mean, like, do you remember what was the point? You know, is it in terms of like the amount of hires or in terms of amount of sales or like right now we have <laughs> the product sort of like 80%, you know, that's to our vision already. And, you know, let's go on to meet more partners. Yeah, I think, I think we, we just wanted to survive. So like on our own, um, without working on channel partners, I'd say channel partners was like maybe the second phase of our business or actually one of the later phases of our business. The first phase was definitely to be able to survive on our own first um, and to have a brand that, you know, our direct customers will um, trust and will refer to their friends. Um, so we wanted to stand on that front um, be able to stand on that front first before we reach out to, you know, channel partners to to even like have the confidence to tell other people that hey, you know, uh, trust us with your business because we can take care of that for you. Um, I I don't think we had a confidence until we had quite a sizable um customer base of our own, and that only happened maybe two or three years into the the business. Yeah, no, because I find it absolutely fascinating that. Uh, at some point in time, uh, I guess how, I mean, you know, we just, we were just talking about golfing, right? And mm-hmm. for some people, golfing isn't even something they will think about in terms of networking. Because what's the most general thing they were, most would think about, which is the BNI thing, right? <laughs> all, oh, yeah. Like, like all small business owners, okay. BNI, uh, what is it called? <laughs> uh, stands for Business Network Institute or something along the lines. We'll link it in the show notes. Uh, but that's how <laughs> okay. everybody starts. It's an 8 a.m. thing and it's, and it's, it's uh, like 
terrible. I mean, I I went to a couple of uh, a couple of things. I think for some it it worked, and then uh, and then after that you sort of need to upgrade from there. It's like, okay, enough of BNI. We need to find something else. But yeah. like, I don't think most people would think about like golfing, which is the other extreme of uh, a BNI. So uh, it's interesting okay. to see like how you how you actually survey all the different options and you know like events and all that. Like how do you even like go about like looking at it on a macro level? Because it's really interesting to see like a lot of your thinkings are very macro thinking, like systems thinking. And yeah, so yeah. So I'm just fascinated and, and, how you yeah. Yeah, let me tell you the secret to this uh, systematic way of, of figuring out what works and what doesn't. Right, right. We, we basically went to try everything. <laughs> so so we actually down? did. Uh, well, we, uh, we listed as much as we could. Like, you know, we just... Uh, it was like basically having a question, you know, and the question being, how do we network more with people and how do we reach out to the, the right audience not 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 anyone, but like specifically the kind of people that we wanted to work with. And so we just listed a few possible um activities. Um and BNI was a place that we went to as well. I think between my partner and I, we went for a handful of BNI meetings. Okay. Or um, like different chapters or like safe chapters. Yeah, uh different chapters, different chapters. Um so that was something that we both tried and both uh realized wasn't something that we we um felt like you know it it gave us a lot of results um so (laughs) yeah so it's definitely something that we try and then only after that figured that it wouldn't work for us and i think that's a lot of uh in, in a lot of sense the kind of approach that we take on many different things given a certain problem how do we best solve it you know, looking back, it might seem that we've, we we magically came up with the right solution. But a lot of times, in fact, I think maybe all the time, it's a process of trial and error. We try uh, logically, you know, um, and sensibly, like the, the ways that are possible and, you know, eliminate th- that those that don't make sense. And, and with the handful that are remaining, we just we just give them all a try and see what sticks. Yeah, so okay, maybe let's just uh, dive into this uh, networking because I think this is a really important process for anybody who is starting any business or want to try to make any money because the limited the, the limited resources is time, right? And I think what you just did is like an 80-20 analysis uh, uh, after you try all this thing and then eliminate a bunch and then you know, try this whole bunch again and have different matrices set out. So I don't know if yeah. you are keen on like, let's like, you know, do a deep dive using networking as a case study uh, into how you apply <laughs> Apply, you know, eighty twenty thinking and system thinking. Um, <laughs> it, it really is just looking at the possible activities out there and figuring out what gives us access to the right audience, the audience that we right. So you first set an audience, is that what it is? And who, like, what did, who is this audience you have in mind? And how do you came up with this audience? We, we well, we needed to, uh, we needed channel partners and we needed people that. You know, like I previously said, like, you know, ran an agency, had a firm that, you know, um, needed hosting for their customers and they needed a, a partner that could help them with that. And and so this became our target audience. Right. Okay. I'm just going to do an insert real quick for people who don't, uh, don't know what you're talking about and not in business. So partners uh, in, in business uh, uh, kind of means, and feel free to correct me, uh, Alvin, uh, that 
people who will sort of word of mouth recommend your business to to other business or will buy your business for their clients. Um, so there will be the it will be a win win situation for both of you. So um, so that would be sort of like an ideal version of what a partner look like uh, for business. Yeah, exactly. And channel partners in in our case, uh, specifically are B two B partners. Uh, and like what you said, they are people who are running a business who have clients of their own, and these clients need web hosting, and 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 that's why they need a partner like us. Uh, we come in to provide uh web hosting to their clients either through a private label arrangement where they they don't know about us. Uh, or through a direct referral relationship where it's very clear that they are working with us, but they get you know a special rate or a special like package or or whatever it is, and 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 yeah, basically these are the people that we want to work with because that that uh, forms our channel partnership base. Okay, so now that you have the uh, channel partner, the target audience in mind. How do you go about what what were the first couple of things on your list? Or how does the, the list look like the, the first round like of like ideas to find them or connect with them? Uh well we will first of all find uh you know people in our warm circle, which is like you know, people that we know on a personal level, either friends or family. Um, you know, either either we we um you know we, we basically have a connection with them somehow. And so that becomes the first, um, well, I, I'd say the first circle or the first uh, way we try to reach out to these people. And once we exhaust that, then we start looking at all the other possible means. Um, and, and that's where you hear of things of, uh, you know, things like BNI, because that's a very common thing in the industry when you talk about um, networking. But, um, you know, I well, just because something is popular doesn't mean it will work. So on our own, we went to try BNI and found that it didn't really work for our purpose. Um, it was it was way too broad, and we didn't we didn't really have a lot of uh, reach in our like individual chapters, and it took a lot of uh, effort and commitment, uh, which we we didn't want to we we didn't or couldn't provide at that point of time. Um, BNI actually operates I think every month or every week and you got to be there at like, like really early and it lasts for a few hours <laughs> yeah that's right uh, so, yeah. so BNI uh, uh, how do you measure what's your matrix or measure of how uh, 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 idea or what, I mean uh, work or not uh, for this in this instance well we look at we look at a, a really short term um result actually i mean when you look at it there, there's definitely like long-term results that you can potentially have and the long-term results is you know when you make relationships and friendships with the people um maybe in the bni chapter and then they have their own friends and then you you start to be introduced and get access uh to all these contacts uh but this this whole process might spend like uh, months or years before you even reach out to the right person and that's something that we, we we couldn't afford, and and that's why we started you know looking at other means and other ways of like getting, um, you know, better networking connections. What other what other things that is on the list that were were 
really bad ideas, but you still put on the list anyway, and you still tried. Um. Well, we we tried, uh, roadshows. Um. Uh, like events, exhibitions where you where you take out a booth, and you know you 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 man the booth, and um. Yeah. You you basically, um. On the surface, again, it looks great because you know these are all industry events. Um, but I, I guess the main problem that we faced um, is that it doesn't really attract a hundred percent of the audience that we want, and and if they do, it's very it's very superficial level also. Um, so that's why we found that events didn't really give us a lot of a lot of uh, return on investment, given the kind of time effort. And even even finance financial cost um needed to run an event like that because when you talk about a booth you got actually you got to actually rent the space uh provide marketing collateral provide the manpower to to man man the booth over like one day or two days or, or however long the event is um and all that is cost to us and 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 that's that's where we found out that you know network networking like that isn't 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 gonna work for our industry yeah. Yeah. And what, uh, is there anything else that you have tried other than events and BNI that was, you know, because I, I just want to sort of let people know also that like, okay, this is how like actual entrepreneurship looked like. It's not just, oh, hey, yeah. oh, this guy make the right decision. Oh, the iPhone, one button, you know, is the best yeah. thing ever. But it's about like going through the process of like, here are all the bad ideas. Here are some possible ideas that might work. And here are the things that yeah. I've tried. And man, all of those is really bad. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe there's a well, left with one good idea. Any anything else that for in this context? Um well the, the only thing I can say is that a bad idea doesn't look like a bad idea. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we went through, they they were good ideas to a lot of people. And they're very popular things, right? Like events. Um with the kind of popularity and the kind of crowd that they attract, you you want to give them a try, which we did. And it was only after trying that we realized that, you know, it doesn't really work for us, given the kind of product that we have, given the kind of company that we have, given the kind of margins that we have, uh, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and, and so when we focused on what was really important, it just became clear that, you know, certain certain events and certain activities um, just wouldn't be a good use of our mm. time. So in the end, what... Um, did you end up with sort of like what were the effective strategies that uh, was chiseled down to and uh, implement, uh, implemented uh, for creating or acquiring more leads for our channel partners? Uh, in the end, we just went specific. We went direct to the people that we saw were in the industry that were serious about their business, that were growing their business. And we we came out with a list of you know all these people and then we tried to reach out to them directly um either through cold cold emailing cold calling them or trying to find a way to get connected to these businesses um usually to friends and to family or to connections that we had um so it became a very very laser focused uh process for us Mm. No, because I can say a similar thing about my business, right? Because um, before, uh, when I first started my uh, animation, uh, 2D animation business was was cold email, you know, and, and it was, I mean, I look back at it and it was like, man, I 
I do not like harassing people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's also, it's also like necessary evil. Um, but maybe like the the I I I mean I have some crazy sequences. I, I do like seven email sequences, and then at a cadence of you know every four days to send someone an email. <laughs> so okay, for anyone listening, please do not do that. Do do not. Uh, <laughs> that's a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, I mean, I mean, my sort of version would kind of look like a, a two email, you know, just send one and then send a second one to follow up is, you know, if they have, they have checked and if they have not, well, too bad. And actually what I really like uh, to do these days uh, uh, is actually sending a letter. Um, so I I actually personalize a, a letter, hey, you know, I, I buy like really nice envelopes and I hand pen um, their names, right? In, in, in the envelope mm. that is a different color. And have no business logo, no nothing. And it just feels like, hey, this is a person writing to another person. Uh, and mm. also I learned another, the, the secret is also not to reach out to the... If it's a company, like an agency that's more than 20 people, uh, do not reach mm. out to the CEO. Uh, reach out to a level down or two level downs. Because the CEO is like over tap. Uh, and you mm. want someone who's like less tap and who also would uh, uh, be able to connect you with the CEO. So they, when they receive this letter, they'll be like, oh, wow, this person actually put in a lot of effort to, you know, get this across. Yeah. And I think the sincerity is more important than anything with today's day and age where email is such a commodity. Yeah, exactly. How to stand out and be unique. I think that's a very important thing to do. Yeah. So, did you did you do a, any uh, direct mail like a uh, letter, or do you just like relentless uh, passion <laughs> to connect? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there was a there was a campaign that we wanted to do, and uh, it's it's even more than what <laughs> you were thinking of. We wanted to send our uh, prospects a, a jar of M and M's. Oh, okay. Um, you know that. Yeah. The idea being that you know you can you can you can have that jar in the office for the company you know the people will eat it um and on top of that uh be interested to find out what who sent that jar and you know why they sent that jar so oh so you um, said just a jar like no nothing just a jar and you know, it's, it's like it's like a letter also um what does but, it, what does you know, the letter say uh, we actually never never got to that oh, point okay. we were. We were dis- we were discussing about it whether or not to have something uh very very small like maybe a a small handwritten note with a e uh with a one of those uh, tiny URLs the shortened URLs to a landing page or to send them a an entire like <laughs> uh one of those uh, marketing book books so we we were deciding between that and it was one of the projects that never really got launched because we always had like something more to do. Um. Yeah. So in the whole priority of things, that's something that is is uh less certain. Uh, I'd say. So you know, we have other things that we want to try first. Um, and so that always got pushed back. Um, and yeah, in the end, we we didn't we didn't even like launch that. So did what? What did the end sort of look like for your? <laughs> what what replaced Eminem? <laughs> Oh, we, 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 we had so many things. Uh, so we had marketing because, I mean, channel partnerships are just one area that we looked at, but we also had uh, market, our direct marketing, our online marketing, our advertising that we wanted to look at. And so there was always a ch- campaign uh, that seemed to have precedence, that seemed to have priority. Yeah. And, yeah, and so we put our efforts into that. 
Right, so the, the direct mail part, channel partnership sort of didn't uh, uh, got to see the light of the day. No one got to receive the <laughs> job of m Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, I love it. Yeah. So, well, but I think it's the, the same thing as what you said, like, you know, to how to stand out, how to make yourself unique and how to make yourself memorable in a sea of people sending emails and even people cold calling. I think being different really makes you noticeable and make make other people like make your prospects um take note of you yeah and, and i think sort of this sort of relates to the i'm really digging um, um the, uh, seth golden's work uh, these days and, and he wrote a book purple cow right and it, it just talks about that uh and it's, it's really just it's about standing up and, and i think he, ah, he, he, right. he he used one of those uh, uh analogy where you know when you drive down and you're in the u.s right now so um and when you drive down the road to you know on your highway and then you 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 go past this town somewhere in california or whatever but now the story is hey this town has the best pea soup in the whole of california and that gives you a reason why you want to go down to this town that no one will ever go to. Um, yeah. So it's about like, yeah, it's about, or oh, this town might have a purple cow. So it's about, it's, it's more worth it to be remarkable than to be better. I was like, huh, really interesting point that he yes. was making <laughs> with the book. So anyway, uh, uh, back to you. Actually, I want to re- uh, rewind back a little bit and then I want to go back to your, 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 your youth. Um, Okay. Because uh, when, you're, when you're a kid in school, you are quite the business person. <laughs> selling country <laughs> raises, you know, selling your homework, and then moving slowly moving on yeah. to a website. So do you always knew that you were an entrepreneur? Um, I don't think I knew that word or what it meant. Um, but I knew that, I mean... I think ambition and drive uh, are fancy words that boil down to, you know, basically what you need in your life. And for me, um, I come from a low to middle income family and, and allowance was always not something that was you know, readily available. I had enough to eat, you know, at recess, but anything more than that is pretty much left up to me. So as a kid, when you needed to make money i guess for me it was a logical thing to find ways and means to raise that that cash and you know selling country raises um where you earn like margin or earn a spread from like buying it at retail and selling it to your friends or you know depending on how you package it you you earn a a, a higher margin or providing services even when you like sell uh, homework or you sell like uh, you know homework services <laughs> i guess that were all uh, ways for me to just uh you know f- solve my problem which is you know how to raise cash um so i guess that's a long-winded way of saying oh yeah maybe that's a entrepreneur uh, or maybe that's an entrepreneurial way of doing things mm. um and, and, yeah. you, and you sort of like hinted that yeah, uh, you like it was because of your childhood growing up that you didn't have a lot of money, um, or, or you have just enough. So you wanted to find more ways to uh, get more money uh, or earn more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, because it's, it's, it's really interesting uh, on my end to, to just sort of see that I think entrepreneurs that I spoke uh, to about have, have all the very different origin stories of why they became to be uh, what to do what they have done, right? And, mm-hmm. and at certain points, uh, you know, after your first business, people change the story. And then the second time entrepreneurs have a very different story as the first time why they started a certain business. And it seems yeah. to me like um, just fast forwarding a little bit to the... F- a front, um, um, you after selling a business, you went to buy all the fancy things that that you know, uh, the Lamborghini, uh, the house, <laughs> uh, the, the the fancy watches, the the fancy meals. Um, yeah. Did you always you know have this sort of like chip on your shoulder uh, that like hey I like you know you're being told the 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 story of like wow, look at these people on the other side that can afford all these things. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that you see growing up. Uh, you had friends that, you know, came from well-to-do families and that was something that was always, you know, something that was available to them, I think. Um, so, so at least for me, I always wondered, or maybe I didn't wonder, I, I always thought that that was, that was the way it was supposed to be, you know. Um, but, you know, after I went and experienced it for myself, uh, I guess I realized that it's it like with any other thing in in life, it really depends on your personal like preference and you know what you really want and what you really make out of things. And did you did know. you how were you like? I mean, your spending habits like before you sell the business. What did you actually have engaged in any like bought any expensive watches already or you know? Uh, any cars already? Or, or only oh yeah, after. sure, yeah. Oh, okay. It was it was during the business, um, leading up to the acquisition, I think. But before yeah, that, was like, it was like quite thrifty, because like, you're in business well, uh, building mode. I think, yeah. Well, I think I was always uh thrifty in a sense that I was, um, I was careful with my money. And I, I wouldn't, if I wanted to buy something, I had to be sure that I could afford it. So that that was my cap. I wouldn't like, you know, take uh unnecessary debt, or I, I wouldn't take extra debt just to just to be able to afford something. So I I think that kept me. <laughs> that that was some sanity check going on. Um. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I was I was I was definitely still so buying did, things. Did you have like what were you buying? Like, did you have? I'm no, I'm wondering if you if you have blips of that moment you know because because for me it was like i remember when i bought like uh one of those very fancy nike backpacks that you know looks like a turtle shell and it's like hot mm. very hard and you know and and it's like 400 bucks which is like i i mean don't quote me on this but i think it was something expensive <laughs> and then and then, okay. and then and then i sort of like i came to realization that like wow this is really heavy and like impractical and like I kind of look like a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, so, so I wonder if, if you no, know, leading up to the time when you buy your Lamborghinis and you know the, the big realization, um, was there any blips, you know, and and how you sort of uh, process that? Um, I, I, I think for me, everything happened through a process of trial and error. Um, I still had the notion that all this was kind of necessary um and and it took me a while before i realized that it, it really isn't and um 
I, it's sad to say I had to go through all of that first, like literally like go through the school of hard knocks before I realized that, oh, you know, if what I'm looking for is happiness, then I need to look within myself actually to find out what really makes me happy. And uh, sometimes certain things just don't, don't do it for me. Hmm. Yeah, I'm like, wow, it's so much to unpack here. Um, <laughs> because, uh, well, I, I, I uh, okay, so let's maybe let's put it in a way where maybe a, a good point, jump off point would be the word happiness. Okay. What does it mean to you uh, back then? Uh, back then, back then, I think I was a very confused individual. <laughs> I, I didn't really understand what, what it, what it meant to be happy, I think. Um, for me, doing what I wanted to do is happiness. You know, freedom to do what I wanted to do is happiness. And I found that in my business. And I, I guess that distracted me from everything else. Uh, or maybe everything else was a distraction. Um, I don't know. But, you know, that that was a, that was something that I didn't... Happiness was something that I didn't really understand back then. And it it, it is only slowly becoming clear to me um, who I am, what I am, and what I like, what I don't like. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's definitely a process. It's definitely a journey. What was like was happiness sort of your your end goal, or you know was so money was just a a medium to get the happiness, or was like you know the the fancy expensive thing was the end goal? Like what was the how what, how was the sequence like? Um, I I guess I was buying stuff thinking that it would make me happy in the traditional sense. But then I realized that I wasn't really happy until I I was like figuring out... Because there's always the next thing to buy, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, okay, so I over the years, I realized that I'm a person that really values... Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't like hassle. I don't like maintenance. Um, and when you think about that, right, buying a car is literally like saddling you with uh, a whole lot of things that you have to maintain, a whole lot of things that you need to take care of. But you think that makes you uh, happy before? I, I thought, yeah, that was my original thought. So then I realized that, okay, I am not, I'm not prepared to do this. This is not something that is not, it's not me. To give you a, an idea of, you know, the kind of what I mean by being hassle-free and being uh, uh, low on maintenance, I find that changing the water tank on uh, an espresso machine uh, troublesome. And, <laughs> and yeah, and uh, yeah, so if you think about it that way, that, that really puts a lot of things into perspective. I, I simply don't feel the need to mm. own a lot of things like a car or... Yeah, like, but it was after that, after a couple of, you know, tries on this, you know, buying more hedonistic treadmill, then you realize that. Um, um, I'm, I'm also sort of wondering, like, the... I mean, it's easy to say sort of like the end. So this is how it looks like. But I'm actually really interested in the in-betweens, right? Like how, mm-hmm. you know, when... So so like walk me through the process. Because I saw you on your blog post and it was like watches and then fancy meals and then houses and then car, right? Was it in yeah. that sequence or would you just buy all one shot? <laughs> I, I think I was like dabbling here and there, like trying things out. Because that was supposedly the lifestyle that people aspire to, right, right. to have. Oh, okay. Actually, maybe um, let's backtrack a little bit. Um, the day yeah. 
you got the money in the bank. <laughs> okay. Okay. So tell me. So the day where you don't need to work anymore, and then you have oh this whole bunch of money hit your bank. How did you feel that day? Uh, we didn't really feel anything. Both my partner and I, we were like, uh, it's great. Like we are not, we are not like, uh, we we definitely are very grateful that it happened. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, to us, business was as per normal. We had a whole bunch of responsibilities, you know, to our to our employees, to our customers. Yeah. Um. So for us, actually, the very next day, we the day itself, we didn't even celebrate. There wasn't any big celebration. The next day, we went back to work and we had a couple of projects that we needed to take care of. <laughs> um, everything went on as per usual. Got it. And the yeah. day, what about and and was when when did that when did that sort of like buying like expensive things started? Was it you know like after you you stopped working or you? Oh know, no, that was like way before that. Like wow, it's like business okay okay so so tell me so tell me a little bit about like i guess the you know the the different bleeps that you know come into you as you know maybe you hit the peak of this watch thing there's no next expensive watch to buy anymore you have bought (laughs) the most (laughs) true 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 (laughs) but like but like what was the like you know how did how did that moment sort of um came to you that oh maybe watch is not that thing I need to find another oh. thing. Because I was always like, I, f- I found that I spent a lot of time researching watches. I spent a lot of time like looking at the different models. I, found, I spent a lot of time on forums. I spent a lot of time um, looking at accessories. Like you could change watch straps. You could like, uh, in, and even for watch straps, a watch strap, you could actually like choose the material, the color, um, all of that. You could like, um, you know, you, you could do so many things and you got to take care of your watches too. You got to send it for servicing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to decide what to buy. Um, you know, I also buy second-hand watches and those will also uh, require a lot of research, a lot of negotiation. And I, I'm sure a lot of people like that. But for me, I I just came to realize that it was something that I didn't, I didn't appreciate. It's, 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 so while you it's, were I, sitting at a computer researching, you were like, ah, no, I yeah. I. I don't the the pain of me researching beats the outcome of getting the watch. Yeah, and it wasn't something that hit me from day one. It took a while, and then I was like, one day, it just it suddenly occurred to me that I I don't really like enjoy this. It's not really uh my passion, but yet I am doing all of that for the sake of getting a a watch. And while having a watch is nice, it wasn't something that I I would feel was worthwhile going through all that ha- the the effort for mm. um so after a while you know this this is not something that happened like overnight it took like many months maybe even years before i slowly realized it because it's, it's got to do with like questioning yourself and questioning your beliefs and questioning why you're doing things and it's at least to me it wasn't something that was very easy because uh, the, the friction up. the friction to you know to research to negotiate started coming on you and then you was like huh is it really do, is, do i really get a lot out of this you know buying this watch that i wear on my wrist right now and then the, the questions started coming so what it is because if you were to just bought the watch straight away off the rack you might mm-hmm. not you know you might not uh, have those uh, you know time those frictions right the hassle yeah the hassles. yeah i guess the friction definitely helped uh frame the the whole problem 
but yeah, I mean, even if I bought a, a brand new watch and had no friction, I'm sure there's friction. Right? There, there still has to be like research. There still has to be which shop to buy and what price buy at and all that. But even let's say everything was smooth up to that point, you still have a friction of ownership. Like for me, you know, I, I don't want to be wearing a watch and worrying that I would ding it or worrying that I would scratch it, which ultimately always happens. And when that happens, then, you know, you got to like send it for like cleaning and polishing. Um, and even if you, you keep it in perfect condition, you still got to send it for servicing. And, and servicing sometimes takes weeks and months. And I'm, I'm like, this is, this is, yeah, this is, this is a chore to me. I do, I do not <laughs> enjoy it. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then, when was the day that you sort of put at the end to, to, to the watch uh, thing? <laughs> um, and you change your identity too. It's like, I do not like expensive watch. I'm going to go back to function. No. I, I think, I think, I think the acquisition was like, um, that watershed moment for me. Like, maybe when I was running the business, I was just too busy and, and that, all that was just like a distraction for me. And, you know, you just kept me, kept me occupied. But looking back, I mean, if I had known what, you know, I know now, I probably wouldn't have spent all that time and effort on something that I know doesn't really make me happy. Well, but but it's it's funny, right? Because I always have this conundrum, right? You know, you you yeah. suddenly like you are you're rich, and then you go tell these poor people, like, hey, 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 you don't need to go chase all this thing. You can be happy now. And I'm not so sure that my younger self would <laughs> would be like, okay, exactly. I I totally buy it, right? I mean, I I feel that it's like mm-hmm. one of those full circle thing. You need to go through it yourself to see that it's not. Um, man for you or like will you you know do you think you'll be able to go back you know to your younger self or give advice that people he you know the younger Elvin will actually take it up <laughs> yeah exactly I mean like I completely know what you mean if I had met my if I were able to talk to my 22 year old self I might not be able to convince him as well you know it might not be something that yeah it be very easy, easily like convinced by um I, yeah and I guess you have to really experience it uh, by uh, through yourself, uh, you know all 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 this, but I think what's more important is, uh, being able to see for yourself what truly you are doing and what your what really makes you happy is the key. Because it wasn't until like maybe I it was until I sold my business that I really had the clarity of thought. Like I could actually sit down. I didn't have like all these all these uh responsibilities. I didn't have. To because you have, have so much free more about. free time, right? Yeah. So maybe in a sense, all these things that I was doing were, were just distractions, uh, to to you know to keep me, keep me uh to keep me sane maybe or to keep me occupied. Right. Uh, yeah. But but again, looking back, I'm sure there are other ways that I could have done that as well. Um. I just I I'm just glad that you know I I I figured that it was something that didn't really make me happy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, which is why, like, I think uh, meditation is all in the book right now, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like, it's, it's a really good practice to 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 have some time for yourself to do self reflection. Yeah, 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 exactly. At that point in time, did you, did so? Do you have already the Lambo and the the house and the the watches and the fancy meals ready, or where were you at at that stage? I I this no the 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 Lambo was a few years I think one year back one year before that, um so I already sold the car, uh I was still figuring out 
you know the actually I wasn't yeah so it, it was a it was a very com- complicated situation I, I just I just I was I think I was really starting to figure out that I I didn't really need like a lot of things um and the house was already sold I think quite some time ago like uh maybe two years before the acquisition oh okay and I was I was really starting to rent and renting to me was 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 uh, a realization that you know uh, I didn't really need a lot of space I actually valued convenience more so I wanted a location I wanted to be living in a location that was more convenient for me um, whereas in the past I bought an apartment in a place at East Coast which was slightly more uh, supposedly prestigious but you know uh, I realized I I had trouble getting to the supermarket I needed to drive everywhere um and i was near to the yeah yeah i was near to the beach but i i didn't use the beach um so you know in the end i got i got a place that i i i didn't make use of much um yeah so so that's when i realized oh actually not then but like i slowly i slowly realized that i i I valued convenience and that's where i i moved to a location where uh i moved to vishan so that was an interchange in fact two interchanges uh for the for for various like for two different mrt lines it had a bus interchange it had a gym and all that and it was very very convenient um so for me that that was something that was a a, a life-changing moment well, well the day i mean okay so you, like the classic story is uh for for entrepreneurs who have sold their, their business uh the, the ones that have no family of course <laughs> is that they, they they take the money and then they go on a huge holiday and uh-huh. and then and then they get depressed <laughs> did yours fall into that category or you know maybe no holiday no margaritas or, or how, how well, does yours look like I after after I after I left the company I left the company in July 2018 um I waited for my apartment lease to end and in December 2018 I I had sold most of my belongings everything could fit into two suitcases and I started pursuing my passions I, I realized that I really liked snowboarding um, so I went snowboarding for for weeks and months. Um, I traveled, and I'm still traveling around the world. Um, and you know, it's 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 really given me freedom to look at things and to explore places. So I haven't really ended the vacation yet, maybe. Right, right, okay, <laughs> <know>. okay. <laughs> um, but with, during your vacation, I'm assuming also you're you're doing some solo travel, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. The the downtime. The downtime is the is the key, I, I think, in this situation. Did mm-hmm. what do you what is your what does your self talk look like during those downtime? Or what are some of the questions that you are personally I guess trying to answer? Um 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 these days or you know, because entrepreneurs are by definition forward-looking and you know they, they they do plans you know we love to do plans um yeah. so how do you deal with 
you know, uncertainty or, or do you feel certain of like, hey, snowboarding for the next 30 years? <laughs> uh, I think anything in my life isn't certain. <laughs> I think a lot of, a lot of times I am filled with uncertainty. Um, and to say that I have a fixed plan for the next five years, even, I think that's, that's quite impossible to say. Even for my business, I think, um, you know, where it is in one month could be completely different from where it, where it will be in like three or six months later. Mm. Uh, and in fact, most of the people in my company know that as well. Change is a constant. Um, so I guess that's, that's the kind of thing I do in my, my personal life also. Right. Um, well, for me, I think the self-talk is, is, you know, figuring out what, what is it that, um, you know, really drives me because if there's anything that I think humans need is the sense of purpose. And for a lot of us, our career provides that purpose. You know, what we do from nine to five or even like, you know, after or before that um, takes up most of our day. And when you suddenly have that, you know, no longer there, uh, I think you've got to start looking for what your purpose is. Yeah, well, purpose is a tricky word, right? And so I, I, I read that, you know, you, you wrote somewhere on your blog that, that there's no predetermined purpose of life. So how do you, how do you reconcile yeah. with that? Uh, well, that's the thing you got to find. Like, find what, what gives you meaning and, and, and do it. The problem is finding it. You know, what, what, what I find purposeful is definitely different from what you what, what what you find purposeful um you know everybody is different so i, I think the problem is is finding it they do, um, do and you, it's not it's not yeah. an easy process i guess yeah yeah I, I mean for for some it takes years right but but uh, you know yeah. i to quote naval you know um is um if you went you know it's not so much answer is is the question you know if you sit with it for for, for years and once you find it, it'll be fundamental to your life, right? The the business the the, the well Vodian started as a the, the purpose was for us to make an income when we were when we were broke students. And that that slowly evolved when we realized that all these customers were actually relying on us and trusting us with their business. And so we started to grow and adapt and evolve and and Vodian's vision changed to to become somebody that can provide the best web hosting experience for all its customers. And that vision drove us and became our purpose. And um, yeah, um, that, that was what drove us. And, and now, um, I guess I just had to find that for my, myself personally. Yeah. And do you so far have found any, because I was at where you are, like maybe last year, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like, where do you, uh, uh, I mean, I, mean, I guess you also you're, you're you're quite a person that like goes online to 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 look for solutions, right? <laughs> and of all, yeah. all the solutions, I mean, books, uh, resources, whatnot, they have tried, you know, read, studied so far. Is there anything uh -huh. that stood out for you? Um, not exactly. I'm 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 just using a you know a, a very you know just a simple method of again trial and error just doing things and trying things out myself and, and, you know, asking the right questions and figuring what really uh, sticks 
Right. I mean, something as, as easy as, you know, having a whole day ahead of you, right, and figuring out what you want to do, um, I think has never been something that was uh was was something that I could could do. Mm. There was always a business to to be preoccupied with. Mm. And to finally not have that, I I think raises a lot of questions. And those are the questions that I need to answer right now. Yeah. Well, good luck on your journey. <laughs> it is. It is. It is a journey. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, just to share a little bit about uh, my own experience. Also, um, all my life, uh, I think at one point, at a certain point, I, 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 I got sold the nomad dream. Right? Like, oh, what? Uh-huh. How good would it be if you could be on the beach, traveling, uh, in the van, right. or whatever, um, yeah. and then work for two hours, three hours a day. Uh, your your weeks, uh, you know, your day's worth of income will come in, and you get to enjoy the rest of the day. So, um, yeah. So I built this, I mean, the, the, built this business to to do that. And once I've done that, so I so I flew to Las Vegas to to build a van. So so I, I so I saw this uh was a van life, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So I went to buy a van over in Las Vegas. Um, I met someone to get all the tools from couch surfing. Built the van for one month. My friend Spencer. Spencer following then went back. So my van uh, is a normal white Astro, uh, 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 one of those pickup trucks that, that, that you can park anywhere in the city. So it looks like a delivery van of sorts. And then, but okay. there's a bed in it. And then there's a, also an ice box in it, so you can you can sleep in it. Um, wow. But I think <laughs> actually we have, we have some similarities over here. So I, I went out to LA, so I drove to California, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, and I was like, whoa, okay, I could I could sleep on the beach. How how cool is that? You no, know, my dream, right? So so and then I, I just did a, a twenty four hours fitness uh, pass, so I could go shower because okay. I don't have shower facilities yeah. in my van, yeah. and then I go gym and then I shower, right? So the first night parked there, oh, this is life is great. Open up the thing and you know celebrating, blah blah blah, and then uh and then after that morning we drive to the gym shower, do the workout, and, you know, two hours in the Starbucks, get the work done, and then comes the afternoon where, I, like you, I have a lot of free time, plan my day, what to do. And it turns out that, like, I, it's really hard to plan the day <laughs> when there's no, there's no yeah. direction, right? When there's no sort of, like, uh, objective you want to hit, right? And so you just yeah, like, oh, exactly. yeah, yeah, so you're just like, oh, man, let's just go check out the, the attractions, but not, right? So, you, I mean, there's only as much attractions, as much food you can eat if you want to be uh, reasonably not fat, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, so the next day, what happens? That ah, uh, maybe I just you know like park at the gym lah. Like this, this uh, beach is a bit far away, you know. So I can park at the gym. There's toilet there. It's great. Then morning workout. No need to can save the petrol and all that. And I just realized that I never the next few days I never go to the beach and park there anymore. <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's the same as you about the house thing, you know, the beach, the East Coast, you know, the beach is there, it's great. They never go to the beach. Yeah, I know what I mean. Yeah, so, so it, 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 and then it was just, and then you're just like, wow, I still have a lot of time. I do not know what to do. So, <laughs> and, and, and plus, you know, like when you're doing solo traveling and then you're in a van, it was, I mean, it's not worth, but like, the thing is that there's no, that's not, it's not like a hostel where there's like a living room where there's people, there's traveling, they're going places, then you can talk to, you can join them, you know, they can join you, whatnot. Your event, you're just all yourself. 
And yeah. that's why people have dogs, right? I was like, then I realized. <laughs> uh, so, so, so the plan was actually to, to drive up to, to Canada and then uh, from, from, from LA. But then I, I sold my van off in San Francisco and took a flight to, to, to Vancouver. Uh, but there was some uh, 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 pretty confusing times for me as well. And, uh, uh, and for me, uh, actually, there's a couple of books that I, I do want to recommend if anybody also listening to this is in that situation. Um, how to solve for happiness, how to solve for happy, or something along the lines by this uh, ex-Google uh, CXO uh, guy called Mo, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Mo uh, G-A-W-D-A-T. Uh, so that was really cool because um, he talks about happiness as an equation. So we are just solving it, going about, about it, solving it wrongly. It's a very interesting book. Yeah. And then the oh, other, yeah, 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 it's a Google guy, you know, so he's like very logical and mathematical. And I, I really like that he doesn't use all the jargon, uh, jargony words, uh, and, and there's no religion in, in it. So that's really cool. And then the okay. other, the other uh, resource is actually a podcast interview uh, with uh, uh, Naval Ravikant, who started uh, Angelus. Uh, so that the podcast is on Falam Street. Uh, with Nabal. So, okay. so that one was uh, okay. uh, really good as well because he's like uh, a philosopher king of sorts uh, right now. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyone, anyway, uh, I, I don't know if that helps, but you know, if, you, if it do, but if, in any case, that helped me a lot during my time. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I'll check out those. Uh, I want to talk about when back in the days when you were in uh, uh, JC, right? Uh, uh-huh. At some point in your study, you dropped out of JC to go to Tomasic Polytechnic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how how long, you know, were you in JC already before deciding to drop out, and and why? Well, uh, I think the decision came pretty quick. Uh, like maybe on my first day. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, it took a while to manifest, though. Um, the the main reason why I'm I felt that way was because. I think in in secondary school, the days leading up to you know a JC, I like with all my friends had to take the O level exams, and you know to me that was something that was very strange because you know all my friends we used to be hanging out and playing all the time, and suddenly in in secondary four, um everybody was busy. And I didn't know why, right? Like, yeah, sure, there's old there's there's O levels at the end of the year, but you know, we had exams every single year too, but nobody seemed to be that concerned about it until secondary four. So, you know, um, you know, my parents were always telling me, Oh, you should study, you should study, it's very important, you know, then you can get to a good school and all that. But I never really saw the reason why. Um, but I guess it was a good thing that my friends were all preoccupied because Ultimately, that called me to study as well because I literally had nothing much to do. And um, so when we got back our O-level results, we could decide on where to go. My parents wanted me to go to a JAC, a junior college. And and so I did, right? With the, with the expectation that, you know, at least I've done my secondary school. When I go to the JAC, things will be completely different and it'll be more fun. Um, but when I went to a JC, I realized that it was like, exactly the same. In fact, I think it's, it's it's worse, uh, in my opinion. So, so when I went there and I saw all of that, I was very very 
um, disillusioned, very, very demoralized. But what, 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 what is worse? Um, everything you seem very regimental. You know, you need to wear your uniform again, and and then there, there are classes. But this time, this time more difficult, like harder. People seem a lot more competitive as well. Um, yeah, and and yeah, it was just this vibe that didn't really sit well with me. That's funny for someone to who went to Carnegie Mellon, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it, yeah well I mean that's another story I think that that happened like a very long no no but we'll uh, come to that we'll come to that um, <laughs> yeah um, for, so for me I, I actually went went to went to explore what was what was available other than a JC and that's when I found that you know you could actually like study about computers in a polytechnic and I was very interested in poly, uh, in computers back then um and and so when when I when I found that you could actually study about them in a poly, I, I decided to go check it out. I went to all the various open houses that the polytechnics had and um I fell in love with Tomasic Polytechnic. It had a gorgeous campus. Uh, it didn't look like any of the other schools. It was it was very open, there was a lot of green um you know, it's it's new. Um, so so I, I decided to go to Tomasic Poly, and I had to convince my parents. I told them, you know, I had to. How did that conversation went? <laughs> uh, one of the things that my parents really wanted me to go to was university, and they 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 thought, and it was it was a it, it was it was a very popular. Um, people knew that you when you go to the JC, you had a very high chance to go to a university. Uh, and but then I I did my research and I thought hey you know um I actually found people going to a university from polytechnic and so I told them hey mom dad you know <laughs> look at this uh five percent of the people from a polytechnic go to a university well, but compared to like ninety percent of JC yeah <laughs> yeah compared to uh, I think like five percent who don't uh, so yeah I I think back then I didn't really have a good grasp of math or something. <laughs> Uh, and I was very foolhardy, very stubborn. Um, but I guess that that was a good thing, uh, because ultimately they they supported my decision. They let me go to a polytechnic, and because it was my first major life decision, I I really took it upon myself to do well, and and that I think that spirit somehow it also resulted in me meeting my co-founder. And because we both of us wanted to do well in school, um, I guess that 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 relationship at school made us very comfortable with working with with each other, which also led us to start. Right, right. That's the benefit of hindsight. And, right. Yeah. So I I guess everything else just like you know fell into place. But for someone, uh, if you were to give someone advice on convincing parents to go to poly. <laughs> <laughs> do not firstly do not use the number thing the percentage thing not, not a very good argument <laughs> yeah. uh, well, like what like did you know like what did you do or you just like um, just based on pure passion and stubbornness yeah for me there was there was it passion and stubbornness I think I was just a very stubborn kid so I'm just very thankful my parents are supportive <laughs> but I think we have a lot in common. I mean, I also went to TP as well, but but not like not dropping out from JCL though. <laughs> um, 
they I want to talk about um <clears throat> failures actually because um uh, I, I think it's interesting to, 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 to paint a full rounded picture of, you know, people who, who, who are, you know, this so-called so um, uh, figures in our society that, you know, are did very well. Uh, they are also human, right? So I want to try to humanize them. Do you have any uh, uh, big failures, went through any big failures uh, that sort of um, set you up uh, for later success? Um... Big failures. I guess I guess throughout my business journey I, I was like filled with failures, I guess. <laughs> failures I mean almost every time we want to do something, we will fail first before we succeeded. And this will be in relation to everything. Um I don't think there's any one single point of time where we had a problem to solve and we chanced upon a solution immediately i think there's always like you know trying something of course of course getting rid of everything that didn't make sense first and then having like a handful of solutions where you like look at them and and you know try to start on the one that's that seems most logical right and giving that a shot and then it's only through that that you fail and then you realize oh okay that didn't work because you know of this and that and then once you understand that i think clarifies the solution or the problem even more and then you can come up with a better solution to fix that and maybe it's not the maybe it's not that that second time that you get it right maybe after the second time you still figure out that oh shit you know you've got these things that you still need to fix before you, you can actually have a good solution and it's a very iterative process where you know you just keep trying until you get something that works and you know that's how you that's how you come come upon success i guess Right, right. And and how did, like, is this a sort of commonplace for you and your founder already? Because, you know, like how some people who, I mean, maybe that would apply to you, but some people who are in, you know, a traditional job, you know, um, and maybe people who goes to uh, a traditional school have never gotten a lot of failure before because business is really all about failures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> how, like, you know, did you, uh, how do you process that? Like, you know, or, or is it just because you have really built up the cadence since, you know, trying to sell to people, erasers, you know, starting from erasers? <laughs> oh, maybe. Oh, yeah. I never really thought about it that way, but yeah, maybe. I, I guess that's probably started from there. Maybe I, I just understood that you know, failure isn't failure. Failure is just, you know, telling you the way that, you know, wouldn't work and then you try something else that might work. Yeah. And it's also interesting um, that this also one of your first um, jobs that you lead people. Uh, I personally have a lot of trouble uh, managing and leading people. So the question uh-huh. is, uh, what's one thing that you wish you have learned earlier as a manager or leader? Oh, <laughs> that people can't read my mind. <laughs> Uh, it, it took me a while before I realized that, you know, people can't read my mind. And um, at the start, I I thought that when you hired someone, it would be very obvious that, you know, they'll be here working for this company. And if this company was selling web hosting, you know, and we had a certain like motto, that will, that will like, that will be like crystal clear. And you know, everything that we do um, would make sense. But then I realized nobody can read your mind even 
even you know no even like even if you think that it's clear you still have to tell them um you still have to tell people what's on your mind why you're doing things the intentions behind it uh you know why it's important um and what you what do you see from doing something like that i think people people you know need to know that um so what was what yeah. are some of the 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 practices that that or habits that you sort of built after that realization? Oh, uh, communication. Like to be clear, why you are doing a project? Um, you know, we we started putting into words our company vision of a company mission. Um, we 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 had a lot more collaboration where we have meetings. Um, I still feel that meetings are you know, quite a waste of time, but it's in a sense necessary because then you get everybody talking about, you know, why they do things, what they're working on. And, you know, ha- you have everybody on the same page. Um, we also have, uh, in our company, we also have town halls, which also takes up a lot of time and it takes up everybody's time because everybody is present. Um, but, you know, it, it gives people a better picture of what everyone's working on. It gives people a sense of, um, you know, a purpose, a, a sense of belonging. And, and you know, that's the town hall is where we talk about, we get people to share about what their department is working on and how it plays into the whole company. Uh, we, we, we also make announcements there talking about, you know, why we do certain things or what happened in a, in a, in a month. Um, or what's going to happen next month. And the cadence is every month, the town hall? Yes, yeah, every month. Oh, wow. Okay. And how long is this town hall like? Uh, each, each, each session is about three to four hours. What is long? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's super long considering that we had, um, we run this in our Singapore office and the Singapore office is about 30 to, 50, 30 to 35 people. Um, so, you know, you multiply that by 30, that's, that's a huge amount of time, a huge amount of man hours just spent on, um, collaboration. But I think it's, it's hugely and very important, um, that, you know, this is done because of collaboration, because of communication. Mm, mm. And, and through yeah. your days running, um, the company, you know, I mean, when you left, how many people were there in the podium? 150? Um, about 150, yes. Do you feel like you are a, I mean, if you would be able to choose that you work alone or you work in a small team or you work in a big organization? Because 150 is big. Yeah, it is. But I I think it's, um, absolutely necessary for a company like Vodian. Um, and, and I guess, you know, What do you enjoy I, like I mean, I enjoy working as in in whatever capacity as long as you know things get done. I, I think for me, what matters most is that the results are achieved. Because sometimes you need a company of one hundred fifty to to run like something like Bodin. Sometimes you just need a small team. Sometimes maybe you you'll be best uh, by yourself. But it really depends on like what what is necessary. Right. 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 Yeah, no, I I still have lots to learn to uh uh be a be a manager. <laughs> no, likewise, I I still don't think I'm a good manager, but you know, it's it's a constant learning process. One of your articles that I saw you wrote um is about like pushing people to start service business. Like, 
right? It's one of those recent articles, how you start a business with $115. Um, with, uh, I actually, I, I'm going to dive in a little bit deeper on that because, you know, I, I think I can tease out some more interesting action steps for people who are actually thinking of that. Because I do agree with most of the points that you, you put on the article of, you know, like don't start a product business first, do service business first, understand the customers, easier to monetize, easier to get them, earn a living, right? Um, with today's landscape and, and, you know, you running Bodian, um, Having Wix, Squarespace, WordPress, uh, and all this exciting plugin, Yoast, and all that. Um, if you were to start a service business today with zero technical skills uh, and none of your network, would you still start a web design business? Or if not, then what sort of uh, service-based business would you start? Um, I think that also will play into what I'll be interested in at that point of time. I, th I think a service-based business is something that anyone can start. The, the point is not really, you know, becoming a next Bill Gates through that business, but rather starting to be a entrepreneur and starting to learn about business. That's the point. Um, the beauty of service-based businesses is that, you know, you have a very low um, starting point. Yeah. There's yeah, very low overheads and you can actually really do anything. You can even mow lawns, for example. If you go around the, the neighborhood just giving out flyers saying that you mow the lawn for a certain amount of money, I'm sure somebody will say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just about to mow my lawn and you're here. Take this money, go ahead and mow the lawn, you know. And you that's your first customer, right? Um, It can be... It can be like, you know, you, you might be baking for all your friends you and all that. you think that like Upwork and freelancers would fall under that category of service? Uh, yeah, business? yeah. Freelancers would definitely fall under that category too. Mm. Yeah, sure. And so basically you're just saying that, hey, just rank by interest. Just like, hey, just whatever you're probably interested in, you're probably somewhat good at it. Uh, and if you're interested in it, you'll work more than what other people are doing because that would be fun to you. So why don't you just do that? Yeah, so I think people always say that you should follow your passions. And while I I believe that I believe that I, I you know, I believe it in a certain way. I, I feel that that is true only because it takes passion, it takes true interest in something before you can actually be excited about it enough that you can get up every morning and, and wanna like work at something. If you have a, a true passion and, and passion only for, say, baking, um, but you don't have that entrepreneurial drive, you don't have the ambition to like, you know, try to make it work, you're still not going to be getting anywhere, uh, even though that's your passion. Um, you've, you've, you've got to have a combination of all those factors. Um, but yeah, you know, working on something that you're passionate about, I think that that is maybe the first logical step in starting a business. And and if you were to, actually I want to switch a little bit on uh, networking, not that we have not talked about enough back then, but I, I think I, I just want to talk about networking in a different aspect now because uh, not more for like sales, but more for like, how do you form an inner circle or, you know, a group of advisors that you trust? Because you did not, like Vodium was not a, a you know company got got uh public uh got funding uh is it because you don't have VCs that you can go ask for advice and all that yeah 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 and I saw at one point that you wrote that that you read the uh Keith Ferrazzi's book uh, Who's Got Your Back yeah so 
I wonder uh, what did you got out of the book and, and implemented as practice, and and how do you go about forming that circle, uh, or, or you know first identifying or you know what's the process of like identifying, then you know making the the connections, then you know having the practice, uh, and then setting up uh, regular cadence meetings or whatnot. Um, so that book, I, I think I read a book quite a while ago. I actually forgot most of it. By quite a while ago, I mean more than like five years ago. So I, I've actually forgotten about it. But um, I think in my personal circle, I have I have uh, trusted friends, and they are they are in business as well. So I I think it it serves as a good maybe sounding board and a good source of advice and perspective. How do you go How do you go about finding them in, at the start? Uh, I I guess it's it's just like maybe making friends. For me, it was a very organic process, where you know you you get to know people that you you first of all uh feel comfortable with or feel like you know you can actually like have like uh connections. Are or they clients of yours? With. Um, no, not clients. And they do you just sort of like, like hey email them or like through a con- like you know do you have like a BNI thing or you know. You know, might be a friend of a friend, might be a you know, um, maybe a random networking event. Um, might be school. I have a couple of good friends from school, mm-hmm. and then you know, they know people, and you know, we start hanging out. I guess, I guess we form connections from all these random events, just like how we have uh, friends. I guess. Uh, so for me, you know, having having that that network was was important, mm. and. Yeah, uh, I guess it, it builds slowly over time. Right, so you didn't particularly like go out of your way to you know think about it and you know, like try different <laughs> strategies or go to different events. No, you just sort of it's pretty yeah, unfortunately, Yeah, unfortunately, there wasn't a real process for me to to to, to form a, a inner circle. Right, 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 right. And so I think one good thing that that you have going. Uh, versus people who are starting business without a co-founder is that you have uh, another person and a sounding board already by your side with you in, you in your business every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it, it can be hard when um, a, a, a boss and an employee can't have that conversation, you know, but when you have a co-founder, at least some of the topics you could talk about, are, you know, with regards to the employee, whether you should fire them or, or not. Um, those are hard <laughs> yeah. topics to talk about, right? Yeah, those definitely are. I think one of the like I, I, I don't know how I would have done the business without my co founder. So I think we're very complimentary in that aspect that, you know, we're not just like sounding boards for each other, but we have very complementary skill sets and personalities. So yeah, I think that's very, very important to be you know, to have that in uh, running a business. Uh, uh, switching topics a little bit. Uh, because I also saw that you uh have dived. Uh, you 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 nerd out a little bit on investing. <laughs> the different tools you use back then. Because I, I I actually started using interactive brokers, and uh, then you talk about sex. Uh, S A X O sex. Sex. Yeah. Um. Um. Are you like? And then also, I I I also started doing uh V uh VTI Vanguard uh index. Yeah, uh, those are market awesome. index. Uh, but I read somewhere that you mentioned that they have uh, ASIC tax or something like that, or for for US indexes. Uh, yes. So there is a withholding tax if you buy the VTI directly if you are Singaporean. Um, so what people do is to buy it 
that buy the ones that are domiciled in Ireland. So, oh, so with it's Ireland, I think your tax drops to 15%. Right. And you would still use uh, Saxo to, to get it or uh, uh, interactive brokers or, or of that? Uh, my choice would be interactive brokers. Yeah, because of the, the quantity, the amount that you trade. Uh, I think up a certain yeah. point. And, did, and yeah. are you using the um, the hacker version where it's like all black and, and or you use the, the web? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I actually don't trade that often, so I just use the online version. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the web, the web, the web trader, I think that's a lot easier. Just log in through their website and then you can just like place trades there. Yeah, got it. Um, yeah. And so, and so, so you're saying that um, that buying a a, bank, a VTI on interactive uh, brokers, there is tax. Any you do you pay capital gain tax or what is this tax that you're talking about? Like withholding tax, what does it mean? Um. So so the US just charges a a flat rate tax if you are a foreigner or if you are in a country that doesn't have a tax uh exemption, which I think Singapore falls under that category. So. Basically, whatever uh you get, like in terms of dividends, uh, you get taxed. Other than dividends, wise, what if uh this over cap? Because VTI, would you have dividends for uh like Vanguard? Yeah, Vanguard gives you a dividend of I think two or three percent a year, oh. depending on the uh, ETF that you buy. Right, but right, I right. think that's the case. The other way is to buy an accumulating class where you know dividends are. You know, uh, they are not distributed as cash, but uh, distributed as units instead. But um, so so don't take my word for it. I'm not. I haven't touched the space in I think about three years. Um, but yeah, those are the points that I would do research on and make sure that you know I I'm covered. As in, before you invest, you you. You do some research to make sure that those points are covered. I yeah, I think I this this I need to do some homework. I'm I'm asking question above my weight class right now. Uh, okay, so I think uh, uh, I want to dive into the last topic before like hitting the uh the the, the blender question that I sent you about fitness because I know you also went through a phase where you know you 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 went you nerd out on fit, fitness right and you can yeah my routines and vitamins and multivitamins and creatine and all that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to know what does the evolution sort of look like with your routines? You know, how they first started and know what changed along the way? Why did it change and how does your routine look like now? Oh, that's a pretty good question. Um, so back then when I was still in Singapore, uh, I wanted to follow like, uh, I wanted to be like, I was a pretty scrawny fella back then, so I wanted to, you know, bulk out a bit. And so I thought of going to the gym back then. And I didn't really understand what going to the gym was. I didn't know there were different things that you could do. And so I th- I just thought you could just hit, hit the weights, right? So I first joined the power power lifting gym, uh, which was a uh, in hindsight uh, a very big mistake for me, because it takes a certain kind of person to be a power lifter. And it wasn't really what I wanted. Wait, what do you mean by uh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so a power lifter focuses on typically reaching your uh your max weight for one single rep. And for me that was a very bad thing for me to do because 
I I typically am not very good with my form, and and as a result, I injure myself quite often. And because powerlifting involves very heavy weights, it increases the probability that you get injured also. And for me, that was just a just a, that was just a huge mistake. Um, but I didn't realize that until I started becoming yeah when I, when I started getting injured more, and then I was like, oh why? And then I started researching. And that's when I realized there's actually different things that you could do uh, when you talk about fitness. So after powerlifting, I thought, okay, maybe I should try power, uh, bodybuilding instead. And that's when I uh, went to a, a bodybuilding gym and, you know, started doing like regular weights. And that was when I realized, or maybe not then, but like after a year of that, uh, when I realized the the... The other thing about me, when I what I said just now about the whole low maintenance and you know hassle free um, aspect of my life, that doesn't really translate very well into bodybuilding because as a bodybuilder, one of the there are the two main aspects of bodybuilding. One is training, and the other is nutrition. And you've got to be really precise with your nutrition if you want to see results and if you want to, you know. <laughs> Uh, get the gains so basically um, training only forms like 10 or 20% of the whole equation the rest of it forms uh, is, is from your n- nutrition so you got to be really careful about what you eat how much you eat when you eat um, and then you know supplementation also plays a part so for me I realized after a while that that wasn't a very sustainable lifestyle for me I I yeah I mean if I stay in a place sure I might be able to do uh I might be able to do that I might be able to have a gym routine and I might be able to you know control my nutrition but if I were to travel or if I were to you know um you know change locations or if I were to have you know other demands on my time I might not might not be able to prepare my food or to make sure that I'm always eating right or that I'm always like working out every single day. Um, so, you know, I had to change that too. So I, I couldn't really like body, do bodybuilding as well. And and that's when I realized that, uh, you know, I, I could actually do calisthenics, mm-hmm. uh, which is body weight exercises. Mm. And um, focus on not not maybe going growing to be the biggest that I can, but but keeping a, a a lean enough physique and being fit while while I'm at it. So um, ultimately, that that became the evolution of my fitness goals. And now, basically, what I do is um, every day I just make sure that I I do some form of fitness. It could be weights if I have a gym, or I could, you know, do body weight exercises also. What and, does your body weight exercise uh, entails of? Um, hopefully, I get access to a pull up bar because I, I I love I love a pull up bar. Uh, but if not, then you know it could be like just doing dips on maybe a countertop or with two chairs or just push ups or mountain climbers or you know body body weight exercises that target different muscle groups of your body and i, I think that's that's great enough for me and how long did you allocate the time for it uh half an hour to an hour but you know some of some of the time i i don't even need to 
I don't even need to like have a dedicated workout time. Maybe I can just like uh put in a few sets if I had time. Um like like I was waiting for an Uber and then I just started doing like three sets of pull ups and I think that was Quite, quite tough already. Yeah, 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 no, I just can't imagine you like at the bus stop. It's like, oh, I guess I'm waiting for a bus. Let me do some pull-ups right now. <laughs> yeah, trying to get it in, right? And then what about, what about nutrition? How does it look like right now? Oh, so I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, um, I don't have that strict of a macro or a calorie count. I just try to keep at. Or below my maintenance calories. Uh, my maintenance my, my maintenance calories are about two thousand calories. So I just try to eat less, or add that amount every day. Of course, it's a it's an art, not a science. So you know it varies. But I don't overeat. I don't like you know, um, eat more than that. Or 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 I I try not I try not eat too unhealthy foods. I still I still have pizza and fried chicken and all that. But once I do. Uh, I make sure my calories for the day are a bit lower. Mm. Uh, yeah, so but you don't I, have I think a, what, that, you don't have like a binge eating issue, do you? Because some people like eat emotionally. Ah, uh, I don't think I do. I mean, I still have my favorite foods. And when I see my favorite food, I still like sometimes I I will go I'll just go for it, right? But uh, yeah, thankfully I don't have any binge eating problems. I guess. Uh, if anything, I think I spent the last few years on health and fitness and nutrition. So that has really given me a perspective on uh, not just fitness, but also what it means to eat healthy and, and what what I put inside my body is literally what I'll become. And so having that kind of clarity really like, you know, um, optimizes the way I eat. Yeah, because you know, you have the knowledge of like, okay, this is good, that or bad, this is roughly this amount of calorie, that this roughly that amount of calorie. Yeah, and that's just yeah, true. Years of like reading up on the topic. Yeah, not just reading up, but I think putting into practice is is really important. And the problem with with nutrition, at least for me at the start, was that a lot of it had to do with again trial and error. And with nutrition, it was uh, a very slow process because you can't just like eat something today and tomorrow realize that you know it's it what 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 it, what it does to you. You've got to actually like you know, make changes over weeks or months before you see results. And so having that time to actually experiment and see that happen to me was very, very beneficial. Because for me, I learn a lot when I actually do something, when I actually experience something. Yeah. And do you have a evening routine or morning routine? Uh, I have a morning routine. So I try to wake up at a certain time. Um, I I I practice intermittent fasting, so I skip breakfast. Thirteen hours, sixteen hours, sixteen. Okay. 16 hours. Okay. Yeah. So then I try to get my uh, workout in before lunch, um, and I get whatever work I want to do for the rest of the day, done. Oh, in the morning. Uh, morning. Uh, as in yeah. Um, uh, morning. Because the only thing that I have fixed is my workout. Um. Besides that, I I I basically just work on whatever I need to work on, and then and then in the evening you just burn out and then crash and sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, evening wise, I mean it's a totally different routine. It's basically, just like finishing out what I need to do. Uh, you know, and and doing the chores like laundry, 
or preparing for the next day. Um, you know, just wrapping up the day. Got it. Got it. Uh, I'm gonna dive into the uh quick round of questions, and then we can proceed to wrap up the interview. Um, okay. So, uh, what are the books or books you have given most as a gift? Oh wow. Uh... Not something that I typically do. Uh, I think one thing about me is that I don't even gift at all. Like gifting is, if you have uh, love languages, if you know what love languages yeah, are, the five, uh, le- five love language. Five love languages. I realized that gifting is super low on my list. Um, on my profile profiling test, I scored like a zero on it. Um, so I'm I'm horrible at gifting, both receiving and giving. Um. Yeah, but I mean, I have a couple of books that I like. I just haven't had time to put it down um, properly yet. Like, as and when I read a book, I'll find it would be good, right? But after a while, I, I realize I forget, forget what book that is. And so one of the things that I want to do is actually like find a system to, to fix that. Like maybe have a system of like book review so that I can actually go back and read what, I, what notes I, I've taken down and whether or not I like the book and, you know, I, I think uh, Derek Sivers have a really good uh, system for that. Uh, I can send you a link after the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, he put it, he cataloged in a way on, on his blog uh, and, and, and he actually even read the thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then off the top of your head, are there any uh, books that withstood the, the, the test of the, all the books that I've ever written and you know, would pass off as a recommendation? Um... Don't think I have a very good grasp of all the books that I read to actually make a recommendation like that. I th- I think I think I've read quite a lot of books, but I've I, I've put, I've taken up like I've taken like um learning points from here and there that I that are actually very confusing. <laughs> I I I really need a better system for this, and this is something that I tell my friends also because I mean quite a number of them read, um, and we always have discussions over books, and I have like points that I, I remember reading about but I don't know from where and I don't know from who um, and yeah I feel like you know I need a better system to make sure all that is, is organized properly um, what about um, your favorite you know computer or phone applications any unusual uh, under the radar uh, application or favorite application that uh, you know people have not uh, come to adopt yet that you want to recommend <laughs> I don't know if people do this, but like on the computer, I use a I use a Windows machine, and on the Windows machine, I absolutely love Note, Notepad plus plus. Um, it's it's just the the best text editor out there, and I use that because I I still I'm still a programmer, so I like looking at code and all that. So I use that for programming. I use that to take to take notes. Uh, I use that, you know, as my personal scratch pad, my 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 thoughts and everything are there as well. And you can have them in separate uh, documents. So yeah, I, I every time I I use a computer right now, I usually have three different, uh, three or four different applications open. One is my browser, the other one is Notepad plus plus, and then I have a few for like messaging. Uh, right now I use Chrome. Yeah. Are there anything else that uh, a phone? What about on the phone then? Um, on well, the phone right now, the most most frequently used apps are the the messaging apps that I have and the browser. 
um, an email. Um, besides that, I, I don't really have a lot. I mean, I love the, the banking apps also, the stuff that, you know, um, the, the banks have so that I can actually like, you know, do my banking on the move. Um, yeah, but besides that, I don't have any like special apps uh, on the phone that, you know, that, uh, that are very unique, I think. In the past, because, I was, because I'm, I'm using an Android, in the past, I used to tinker around with um, uh, Tasker, which, which actually automates certain things. Like, you could actually say, for example, if you, if you drive and you, you have an Android phone and you have a Bluetooth system in a phone, if you, like, once your phone is connected to your car system, then logically, you know, you will be in a car. And Tasker is an app that you can you can program that you can um not really program but you can tell to do certain things once an event like that happens. So an event will be you entering your car and connecting to a Bluetooth system. The phone knows that. So because of that, you know, you can say, oh, once that's done, you could open Spotify or open your your maps or, or whatever it is that you do in your car. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, but after a while, I realized I I don't. I don't use it as much because you know I don't have a car or I have I, I change cars or like I or whatever so uh, it became more of a hassle so I stopped using Tasker but I you know I, I just I just love that you can find whatever you need on on the phone like most most things that you want are really like can be done with with uh, apps even like um, e-signing for example I do on the phone a lot more than my computer now because the apps uh, that you find on the phone are a lot a lot more convenient for that. What do you actually do? I, I, I want to know the, the app for e-signing on the phone. I mean, not that I, because I, I use an iPhone, so. Uh, oh, okay. Not sure if you're saying. <laughs> but but what, what is the app for Android, like for e-signing? Uh, I use Foxit. Foxit, F-O-X-I-T. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'll, That's right. I'll go check Fox it out. It. Maybe they have an yeah. Apple version of that. I, I think Apple has another one called PDF pen or, or something it, it essentially lets you open a pdf and uh put a signature down you could like use your finger or you could use uh or you could like use an image or or you know whatever uh so it becomes very very convenient mm. Mm. uh yeah. what have you purchased uh, recently uh, that has most impacted your life in the last six months uh so I travel now with a 95 liter backpack. I think that's the, my biggest, <laughs> uh, I, I get the most utility out of it because I use it every time I travel. What what are uh, brands and model? Uh, it's the Osprey Transporter. It's uh, the 95 liter version. I used to be, I used to be traveling with a carry on only, but because my trips become longer and they span across seasons, uh, I figure I need something that, that is a bit bigger. I still need to check it in and, and all that. What is the worst advice you see or hear being dispensed in your world? I, I wouldn't say it's like advice per se, but I guess it's, it's to, it, it could be like any, it could be anything that happens. It's, and the thing that I learned is to always question you know, it could be something that you feel yourself. It could be like a personal belief. It could be, you know, even advice from your, a trusted friend. It could be anything. I think as long as you're skeptical and you and you always question, 
you would you would um have a much clearer idea of why you're doing things. So yeah, that 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 would be what I learned. Hmm. And when you think of the word successful, who came into your mind and why? Um, Steve Jobs. Yeah, as cliche as it sounds, I think Steve Jobs um is is who I think has business success. Yeah, I think he did that because I think he he is that because you know, for one he revolutionized complete industries, right? With the iPhone, he he just this is like what Henry Ford said. Like, you know, if you ask customers what they want, right? Uh, back then, if you ask customers what they want, they'll say, Oh, I want a faster horse. Uh, but it takes somebody that's a true revolutionary, a true like visionary to to come up with a car. And I think Steve Jobs did that with the iPhone. You know, it's just completely revolutionized, you know, com- like various industries. And I think that's extremely, um, you know, uh, admirable. Are there any asks or uh, requests, you know, last parting words uh, for the audience or thoughts to take away or consider or otherwise? Um, well, no, but I, I can definitely be reached out to if anybody has any questions. Um, are there any upcoming projects or you know that people can look forward to or, and where can people find you on the internet? Uh, as, as far as projects go, I think I'm still exploring a lot of things. So nothing concrete at the moment. Uh, but people can always visit my blog at elvinpo.com or I'm also on Instagram. My handle is poor Wi-Fi connection. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm mostly available through those two channels. All right, cool. Well, that's uh, thank you so much again for your time. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. it's been a pleasure. All right, people, it's over. As usual, all show notes, links, books can be found on the website, brianvictor.com, Brian for Y. And if you have any misfits that you'd like to hear from, feel free to drop me an email. Thank you again for giving me your time and listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. Have a fantastic week ahead. <laughs>